Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's dedicated podcast all about genre television. I'm Josh Wiggler, your host here on Series Regular. And while we've been hopping around from show to show to roughly 3,000 superhero shows in the past few weeks, it's time to put it in park for a moment. And by park, I mean... All right, we're not doing a deep dive into all things Marty McFly, and I really hope that wherever you are, you're not traveling quite as fast as he is. But for this week's podcast, we are traveling back in time to an era and a world just a few decades away and a few strides upside down from our own. Stranger Things, the Duffer Brothers Netflix drama that stealthily launched in the summer of 2016, before quickly flipping the streaming service and the genre space at large upside down. The recipient of numerous Emmy and Golden Globe Award nominations over the course of its first two seasons, Stranger Things unleashes its third round of 80s set horrors upon the world in very short order, and in very festive fashion, dropping all eight episodes on July 4th, almost exactly three years after its initial debut and roughly one and a half years after it last graced Netflix. There's a chance, a small chance, but a chance, that you're listening to this podcast without ever having actually seen an episode of Stranger Things. To you, I say... You lie! But on the off chance that you don't lie, then consider this Season 3 Primer podcast the perfect place to get caught up, or refreshed in the case of those of you who haven't had the time to do a rewatch ahead of the new episodes. But if you're in the first camp and you're someone who hasn't watched Stranger Things at all, at the risk of defeating the purpose of this podcast, please turn me off and go turn on the show. In an ocean of so much content, Stranger Things is the rare creature that is highly bingeable and blissfully short, with seasons one and two clocking in at only eight and nine episodes apiece. It's scary, it's funny, it's designed to fill you with all the right nostalgic, funny feels if you're a child of the 1980s, or if you're someone who worships the sights, sounds, and tastes of that decade. And frankly, it's everywhere. Stranger Things is absolutely everywhere. You must have been so confused in Halloween 2016 when so many people were running around dressed as a bald kid with a nosebleed and a box of Eggos in tow. Or all the times you've come across the word Demogorgon, which is a super fun word to say, Demogorgon, and one that is frequently said by the stars of the series. Here, this is an example, all the way back from the very beginning of Stranger Things. The Demogorgon! Oh, we're deep shit. Will, your action! I don't know. Fireball him! They have to roll a 13 or higher. Too risky. Cast a protection spell. Don't be a pussy. Fireball him! Cast protection. The Demogorgon is tired of your silly human bickering. It stops towards you. Boom! Fireball him! Oh, Will, no. stop! Boom! Cast wait, protection! Fireball. It was an anger! And fireball! And fireball! Where'd it go? That's from one of the very first scenes in The Vanishing of Will Byers, the first chapter of Stranger Things. You've just met the party, a group of four friends who get together and play Dungeons and Dragons and other assorted forms of nerdery. They consist of Mike, played by Finn Wolfhard, the dungeon master and leader of the group. 
Lucas, played by Caleb McLaughlin, another alpha type who's as eagle-eyed with an insult as he is with a slingshot. Dustin, played by Gaten Matarazzo, an unabashed pop culture sponge who proudly lets his free flag fly when it comes to his beloved bits of pop culture. And the titular Will Byers, played by Noah Schnapp. Will is Mike's best friend, a sweet and sensitive kid who shares these last words with Mike at the end of an all-too-short D&D campaign. The wolf, it was a seven. The Demogorgon, it got me. See you tomorrow. Following the shortened campaign, Will proceeds to leave Mike's house alongside Lucas and Dustin, riding their bikes through the dark streets of Hawkins, Indiana. Hawkins, Indiana, your classic middle-of-nowhere small-town slice of America. The safest place in the world, where a bike race between friends in the dead of night wouldn't raise so much as an eyebrow. Certainly not a monster from another universe. Right back to my place. Wonder gets a comic. Any comic? Yeah. Dustin loses the race in the moment, but he's far from the biggest loser of the night. That distinction belongs to Will, who, while racing home, encounters a monster in the woods, the aforementioned Demogorgon. Demogorgon! Or so he's labeled by the party, taking its name from the same Dungeons & Dragons monster at the heart of Mike's most recent campaign. Immediately showing his resilience, Will races off on foot, reaches his house, finds his family's firearm, and readies to defend himself against whatever dark menace is on its way. But just as the firearms of Sandusky, Ohio's finest, were useless to defend Tommy Callahan III and Richard Hayden from the bees, Will's rifle holds no power in the face of the Demogorgon. In an instant, he's gone. Taken to a shadow universe known only to the characters of Stranger Things and therefore the audience as the Upside Down, which through two seasons remains a mostly unexplained but still entirely deadly dimension. Here are the boys hashing it out, kind of, with their beloved science teacher, Mr. Clark. It remains the best explanation yet. So you know how in Cosmos, Carl Sagan talks about other dimensions, like beyond our world? Yeah, sure, theoretically. Right, theoretically. So, theoretically, how do we travel there? You guys have been thinking about Hugh Everett's many worlds interpretation, haven't you? Well, basically, there are parallel universes, just like our world, but just infinite variations of it. Which means there's a world out there where none of this tragic stuff ever happened. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Oh. We were thinking of more of an evil dimension, like the Veil of Shadows. You know the Veil of Shadows? Echo of the material plane where necrotic and shadow magic... Yeah, exactly. If that did exist, a place like the Veil of Shadows, how would we travel there? Theoretically. Well... Picture an acrobat standing on a tightrope. And the tightrope is our dimension. And our dimension has rules. You can move forwards or backwards. But what if right next to our acrobat, there is a flea? 
Now the fleet can also travel back and forth, just like the acrobat, right? Right. Yeah. Here's where things get really interesting. The fleet can also travel this way, along the side of the rope. He can even go underneath the rope. Upside down. down. Exactly. But we're not the flea, we're the acrobat. In this metaphor, yes, we're the acrobat. So we can't go upside down? No. Well, is there any way for the acrobat to get to the upside down? Well, you'd have to create a massive amount of energy, more than humans are currently capable of creating, mind you, to open up some kind of tear in time and space. And then... You create a doorway. Like a gate? Sure, like a gate. But again, this is all... Theoretical. But but what if this gate already existed? Well, if it did, I, I think we'd know. It would disrupt gravity, the magnetic field, our environment. Heck, it might even swallow us up whole. Science is neat, but I'm afraid it's not very forgiving. Got all that? I don't! I don't That's understand! Fine. That's fine. Seriously, it's fine. All you need to understand is this. A very scary monster has trapped a very young boy inside a very scary shadow dimension where everything is bleak and there are slimy dust particles everywhere and really the whole thing is just very unsettling. But it's also very alluring to a certain group of scientists, namely the denizens of Hawkins Lab, who have thrown an astounding amount of money and resources into infiltrating and exploring the Upside Down. Among those resources, a young girl, the same age as the boys, who appears in Hawkins right around the same time as Will's disappearance. Her name? Eleven. Okay. Um, well, my name's Mike, short for Michael. Maybe we can call you L, short for Eleven. Even if you haven't done the Stranger Things deep dive, you know who Eleven is. Surpassing even the Demogorgon, Millie Bobby Brown's Eleven is the iconic Stranger Things character. She's a child who was raised as a science experiment, gifted with telekinetic abilities that cause her to have nosebleeds while lifting things with her mind, as is the case when she saves her friends from a pack of bullies in one of season one's very best scenes, and therefore, one of the very best scenes of the series. Full stop. Eleven makes good on Dustin's threat by the end of the season, killing the Demogorgon, but apparently killing herself in the process, or so many of the people she's met are led to believe. No more. Dead or alive, there's no question about it. Eleven is gone, at least for now. And in her place, thanks to her efforts, Will returns from the Upside Down. And while most things are going well, he does have some Upside Down Upchuck issues. Oh. 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 
which takes us to season two of Stranger Things, which largely deals with the fallout of Will's homecoming. A year later, he's not only suffering from PTSD from his trip to the Upside Down, but he's actively displaying a continued connection to that universe. And midway through the season, that connection solidifies in a very horrifying way. Will comes under the control of a creature known as the Mind Flare, once again named by the party and once again named after a Dungeons and Dragons baddie, even if it doesn't quite have the same ring as the Demogorgon. But this one has the ability to effectively zombify and enslave human hosts for its deadly needs. The result in this case? A Will Byers who is a far cry from the friendly neighborhood kid from yesteryear. He likes it cold. If only Eleven were around to help Will out again. The thing is, she is around. As it turns out, she didn't die in battle against the Demogorgon. Season 2 reveals that Eleven was very briefly trapped in the Upside Down following the fight, but just as quickly returned and came under the care of a fan-favorite character we haven't talked about yet. You look like hell, Chief. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, I look better than your wife when I left her this morning. <laughs> Jim Hopper, the devil-may-care chief of Hawkins Police, who frequently throws himself headfirst into every problem he comes across. Upside Down creepy crawlies included. Eleven spends several months living in secret with Hopper, slowly improving her language skills, if not quite her social skills. Eventually, she gets curious about her past, where she came from, and abandons Hopper in pursuit of that quest. The result? The Lost Sister, a highly divisive episode from season two that is either the best or worst episode of the series, depending on who you ask, and I have yet to ask anybody who has answered best episode. If you're asking me, decisively in the second camp and would much rather not spend too much time talking about it, except it does introduce some important concepts. Namely, that Eleven meets a woman named Eight, a.k.a. Callie, another superpowered survivor of the Hawkins lab experiments. What you can do is incredible. It makes you very special, Jane. Callie teaches Eleven how to maximize her powers, and that's the real big important takeaway, because while she's gone... Will is in terrifying Mind Flayer mode, and there are legions of mini Demogorgons around called Demodogs, which is not as fun to say as Demogorgon, but still fairly fun to say. And they're terrorizing Hawkins, and Sean Astin, who plays Bob, is brutally killed. Don't say that! Never say that! Goonies never say die! Alas, in this case, they do. But Eleven returns from her study abroad program with Callie with enough telekinetic confidence to steamroll the Mind Flayer and seal the gate between Hawkins and the Upside Down for good. Season 2 ends on the show's happiest note yet. Eleven is back in the lives of the party, specifically Mike, the two of them happily dancing away at the end of the year's snowball. Meanwhile, in another dimension, the vicious mind flare remains lurking over Hawkins in secret, its next moves unknown. And that's season two. Got all of that? I don't. I don't that's understand. Fine. That's fine. Okay, fair enough. I've left out a few key characters who you ought to remember, like Joyce Byers, who's Will's mother, played by Winona Ryder. Jonathan Byers, Will's brother, played by Charlie Heaton. Nancy Wheeler, Jonathan's girlfriend and Mike's older sister, played by Natalia Dyer. Bad boy Billy Hargrove and his cool sister Max, 
played by Dacre Montgomery and Sadie Sink, respectively, newcomers to Hawkins in Season 2. And, of course, you can't forget Joe Curious Steve Harrington, the coolest guy in school, and very likely Jean-Ralphio Saperstein's father. A flush, Steve also happens to be best friends with Dustin, and is the future owner of this very weird guttural handshake. <laughs> How many children are you friends with? That last voice belongs to a character we have not yet met, but will in season three. Robin, played by Maya Hawk, new this year. She's the newest person in Steve Harrington's life. The two of them working together at Scoops Ahoy, an ice cream shop at the Starcourt Mall which is a brand new setting for the series. It was first teased by Netflix in their early promotion of season three. Here, take a tour of the place for yourself. Earth, America, Indiana, Hawkins, a growing patriotic community and a shining example of the American dream. Today, Hawkins is taking another step into the future with the brand new Star Court Mall. With retail options for every member of the family including The Gap, Walden Books, and Sam Goody. Starcourt Mall has it all. And don't forget, a state-of-the-art food court is just an escalator ride away, featuring America's favorite place to cool down, Scoops Ahoy Ice Cream Shop. In addition to the Starcourt Mall and Maya Hawk as Robin, New Stranger Things additions in Season 3 include Hawkins' smarmy mayor, Larry Klein, played by the dread pirate Roberts himself, Carrie Elway. As you wish. There's also Jake Busey as Bruce, a Hawkins journalist whose knowledge of the sleepy small town will certainly come in handy, assuming he's anything like his father, Gary. Right around that corner, there is a sandwich shop. They sell meatball sandwiches. Best I've ever tasted. Would you go get me two? Come on, partner. Thank you. You talk. Give me two. You want two? How about two more hot tips about what to expect from season three? Here's the first one. Months ago, Netflix announced the titles of season three's eight episodes. Chapter one, Susie, do you copy? Chapter two, The Mall Rats. Chapter three, The Case of the Missing Lifeguard. Chapter four, The Sauna Test. Chapter five, The Source. Chapter six, the Birthday, Chapter 7, The Bite, and Chapter 8, The Battle of Starcourt. The surprise? Those aren't all the official episode titles. At least, not exactly. Expect a name change or two when the season arrives. And now for hot tip number two. Given its 1980s setting, Stranger Things leans hard on all the nostalgic power it can harness, from overt homages to movies like Aliens and E.T. and well beyond. The music's a similar deal with various familiar needle drops all across the two seasons, with the most famous one being this. <laughs> Season three will be no exception when it comes to the movie and music references. And there's one very big scene near the end of the season that combines both of those things in a way that some people will adore and some people, well... Maybe not. You'll know it when you encounter it, for sure. Here's the best and most annoying hint I can possibly give. This is the song that doesn't end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. 
Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that does it. Shut up, shut up, shut up! I won't torture you any further with that. And honestly, not much more to tell you about Season 3 of Stranger Things. Certainly not with the full season so close to release. But if you want the official description from Netflix, here it is. Quote, It's 1985 in Hawkins, Indiana, and summer's heating up. School's out, and there's a brand new mall in town, and the Hawkins crew are on the cusp of adulthood. Romance blossoms and complicates the group's dynamic, and they'll have to figure out how to grow up without growing apart. Meanwhile, danger looms. When the town's threatened by enemies old and new, Eleven and her friends are reminded that evil never ends. It evolves. Now they'll have to band together to survive and remember that friendship is always stronger than fear. End quote. If you want the official word from THR, look no further than series regular special guest star and TV's top five co-host Dan Feinberg, who posted his review this past week, which essentially represents my take on what you're in store for. Check it out at THR.com slash Stranger Things, which is also where you'll get much more coverage of Season 3 once it arrives on Netflix in its eight-episode entirety on July 4th. As for series regular, we'll be back soon with a full breakdown of Season 3, once you've had a few days to binge it all. Until then, as always, thank you for listening to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's deep-dive podcast into genre television. Contact us at SeriesRegular at THR.com with your Stranger Things takes and other assorted forms of feedback. You can also reach out to me directly on Twitter at Round Howard. Subscribe to Series Regular on your podcast platform of choice to make sure you never miss an episode. Until next time, take care. Take care.